Yeah, great. You know, and when Amber shared, I just um, thought of the scripture when Amber shared what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the joy and the smile on his face as he endured such half- hardship. And um, we can read that in, uh, uh, just um, reminded me of Hebrews chapter 12. And I just want to read this um, to you. And um, it's just an incredible passage of scripture. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a Great crowd of witnesses, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess and throw off everything that entangles us so that we can run our race with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. What an incredible scripture. The joy to Jesus was not the pain of the cross. The joy to Jesus was seeing these loved ones and you give the hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked right through the cross and he saw us. And I tell you one thing as a pastor of this church and all we've gone through, I tell you, this makes it worthwhile. And I want to thank these wonderful people. Some of them have been saved a week. Some of them have been saved a couple months and they've been obedient to the word of God. So today I'm going to, we're going to look at um, Christmas coming up. I want to speak on the, the question why Jesus came. And um, we're going to look in the book of Colossians, which is not normally a, Christian, a Christmas message um, uh, book, but um, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at three kinds of people that went to this church, very similar to the church today in different ways. Um, the one was born-again believers who were serving God. The next group was a group called Gnostics, and then there were Judaizers. And we're going to look at the, the, um, the last two first and explain a little bit about who they were. And in the context of church today, you may recognize some of these things. You see, it was a letter written to these three groups of people. But the last two, the Gnostics and the uh, Judaizers, were re- misrepresenting the Word of God. The Gnostics, for example, believed that all physical matter was evil, and because it was evil, they could do as they like, because it was evil. What a convenient gospel that was. They believed that only the Spirit was good. As a result, they added Jesus to the hedonistic lifestyle. And uh, which is defined as a pursuit of pleasure, self-gratification, without any restraint. So these were quite crazy people. And all they did, they heard Jesus, but instead of being transformed by the power of the Spirit, they simply added Jesus to the religion that they had. And we see Jude, uh, who was uh, in Jude, um, the book of Jude, the letter of Jude, Jude 1 to 4. Jude writes this. He says, Jude, a servant of Christ and a brother of James. That always gets me when I read that. Because James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus. And he doesn't pull rank. He doesn't say, well, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus, or the brother of Jesus. I'm the dude, servant of Christ and brother of James. James, who wrote the book of James, was also one of Jesus' half-brothers. Why was he a half-brother? Because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And they were conceived by Joseph. 
He says this, To those who have been called, who, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I am very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written long ago have secretly slipped in amongst you. They are godless men who have changed the grace of our God into a license of immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior, our only sovereign Lord. You see, they denied that Jesus was both human and divine. They bought into the message that we sometimes hear today of grace, where grace was intended to make a way for us to come into the holy of holies. Grace is often preached now is how far can I go to the edge before I fall off? Not how close can I walk to the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't worry, it does get better in the end, so you can smile a little bit. The apostle um, John, in John 1, remember they denied the humanity of Christ and just acknowledged his deity. There was a spirit. He was not born in the flesh. And we, we see that John speaks of this in the Apostle John in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is Jesus. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And if you go on, we're going to read a little bit of Colossians, but if you go on to the second half of the book of chapter 1, Paul speaks of the supremacy of Christ. It's an amazing passage of Scripture to meditate on. And he says this, he says, he, uh, And nothing was made that has been made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if we go down to verse 14, John explains that the Word became flesh, born in a manger. We're going to celebrate that next week. He became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Judaizers did not believe that Jesus was born in the flesh, was only spirit, and they spiritualized everything they did, and they mixed a form of Christianity into it. The second group in this church were called Judaizers. Now they were the exact opposite. And while I was reading, so there's three groups. There's believers, there's, um, there's Gnostics, and there's Judaizers. Can you imagine leading that church? Can you imagine... <laughs> What is going on in there? And they, they believed this, that in order to be saved, you not only had to believe in Jesus, but also obey the Old Testament religious law. For example, the law of circumcision, which Paul deals with in the book of Galatians very strongly. You see, they did not believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to save us. You see, Jesus came for a relationship, and we have made it sometimes into religion. A relationship of love, of mutual love. God loved us, and He gave His Son, God the Father. The Son died for us. And Jesus says this. Jesus' love language in Matthew 14 is simply this. If you love me, 
you will obey me. So Jesus' love, love language is obedience. But what does he mean there? He's not saying, okay, get out all the Levitical laws, get out all these and, and take them off and see how you go. I tell you, if you put the Ten Commandments on your fridge, I guarantee you, including me, we have gone to have broken a few by the end of the day. It's impossible. And it makes us religious and it makes us hard. What Jesus actually meant there, I believe, is fall in love with me and you will want to obey me. It's when we fall out of love with Jesus, then uh, things start going wrong. We start slipping back and we slip into religion where it's about attendance, where it's about rules and regulations and all of that. And we come together here because we are his body and we love him and we want to worship him. Amen. You see, they thought they had to add to the gospel. And Paul addresses this. Jude hit that thing of grace really hard. But Paul, if you want to know that how politically incorrect Paul is, read the book of Galatians. This wonderful church that he planted in, in verse 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? Imagine me sending a letter out like that to the church. It would be us four no more, my son, my wife, and my daughter maybe, and Dina, she said. You see, God never intended for us to turn uh, his relationship into a set of rules that we could not keep. The Levitical, there's the Mosaic law and the Levitical law. And one of the Levitical laws, I'm so pleased that is no longer, why can you open this for me? No longer in the Bible, uh, no, no, no longer in the New Covenant, the Levitical laws, but the one law that I thank God for the most that is not there, is we can eat pork. Imagine life without bacon. Imagine. For that alone, it's worthwhile becoming a Christian. But he addresses this letter to the Galatians. Galatians 1, 6-8. This is the beginning of this letter. Judaizers, people had come into this church, slipped in to the church. So there's two people, people that will slip in that will bring immorality, and others were slipping in that would bring religious law. But in this church, they had slipped into the church, and they started adding Jewish law to the gospel. And this is what Paul says in, in, the, in the first chapter. Go and read Galatians. It's a wonderful book. It's only six chapters. You can read it in an afternoon and just study it. He says this. As he hears what these Judaizers, because the Judaizers were saying to the, to the Christians, to the Gentile Christians, you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. And he writes this. He hears this. And he says this in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And when I read the book of Galatians and I see how firm Paul was there, and you read the book of, uh, of uh, the letters to the Corinthian church who were totally out of control, he was more gracious to them to this because they were preaching a gospel that was no gospel at all, a false gospel. They were 
telling people that they needed to add, add, add to salvation, and in fact, they were not saved at all, thinking they were through this gospel. He says this, evidently, evidently some are throwing you into confusion by trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other, one, other than the one we preach to, let him be eternally condemned. And that's only the first few verses of this book. You see, the problem with both Gnostics and Judaizers that I, they had created a designer God. They had created a false gospel to suit their lifestyle. And they were confusing others. You see, the Gnostics preached, come to Jesus. You don't have to worry about sin or the flesh. And you can do as you please. That I would call a self-indulgent gospel. But the Judaizers preached the gospel of self-effort. Both of these were about self and about earning your salvation. And that was a self-righteous gospel. And if you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul deals about this there where he says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto the salvation, first to the Jew, then to the the Gentile, the power of God, and in the gospel, for in the gospel there is a righteousness that is revealed by faith. Then he goes on to talk about self-indulgent people in Romans chapter 1, how they exchange natural relations for unnatural ones, and he goes on and on, and we think these are really bad people. They were just lost people that needed the true gospel. Because he goes into the chapter 2 and he says, you who judge them, watch out. And he starts speaking about the Jews and the laws and so on and adding these things. And that was a self-righteous gospel. And sometimes a self-righteous gospel is harder to deal with than a self-indulgent one. When people think they are saved because they're good people or because they're doing things. I'm telling you, it's wonderful that they are, but without Jesus Christ, they are going to the same destiny as the ones that are indulging in all kinds of things. And we are not to judge. Paul says that in Romans 2, watch out or you too will be judged. We are simply to offer the gospel in all its truth We've got to pray for people, love them, and trust the Holy Spirit to convict people's hearts and transform them. Amen? See, Paul in, in uh, Ephesians 2, I think I put the um, wrong um, context there, but it's Ephesians 2. It says, it is by grace, 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Salvation is the ultimate gift that God could give us. Not by works, so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And getting back to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to just look at four verses. 
And we're going to see this incredible grace and mercy that God pours out upon us and why Jesus came. In verse 12, he reads, please go and read the letter, read the context. For time, we we are cherry-picking Scripture, and that's often very dangerous if you don't know the context. And um, the Word of God says that we are to be like the Bereans. It was a, 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 a group of people, a church, that we don't know much from, but it says they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the Bible to see if what Paul was true, said was true. And the church in Thessalonica, Paul calls a model church. But they were better because they searched for themselves. Church, what I want to tell you about preaching and teaching, this is to inspire you. This is to challenge you. But this is to hopefully awake something in yourself to go and find out for yourself. Because second-hand revelation has a shelf life of about 10 minutes. I can tell you Jesus loves you. I can tell you we can tell you all of these amazing things that God wants to do, that he's not interested in your past. He's forgiven your past. If you confess your sin and repent of him, he's only interested in our future. And every breath I take now is a breath that I will never, ever get back again. Every step I take off the stage is a step that I would never, ever get back again. And God wants to, us to be transformed by his past so that we can represent him well and so that we can populate heaven with the people that he loves. The self-indulgent and the religious all together. Let us stop judging one another. Amen? And he says this, verse 12 to 14 here, says, We joyfully give thanks to the Father... Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued all of us. No matter how bad or how good we were, one sin is sin. And I've said this before, but you might be new here, and please I hope you don't mind if I do this. If this, this is pure, pure crystal water. And if I offered some people a drink, well, my son would. Maybe you wouldn't. You take it, even though I've drank it. But if I do this in there and I offer him a drink, he wouldn't drink it. Why? Because it's contaminated. How much spittle does it need? How much sin do we need to do to be called a, to be a sinner? One. Some of us have done one, maybe, and we're pretty cool at feel good about ourselves, and some of us have done a million, and we feel so bad we think God can't love us, and the others think we're so good we don't need God. We both need God. That's the point. We all need God. God has a plan and a purpose. God wants us to use our gifts, our talents, our finances, uh, the things He gives us so that we can bless others. Be a blessing to be a blessing. And He rescues all of us. As these wonderful people shared from the dominion or the rule of darkness. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, um, the forgiveness of sins. And I'm just going to unpack that little scripture. And you'll see how much wonderful stuff there is in there. Church, Jesus came to qualify us. The unqualified. Why? Because we can never 
qualify ourselves. Stop trying to qualify yourself. Transformation of God through the Holy Spirit is inward transformation that eventually has an outward expression. We love because He loved. We forgive because He forgave. And when we sin, we come and ask forgiveness, He forgives us. It's not a transformation from the outside in. It's a transformation from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, Paul tells us in Ephesians this amazing little story of how God qualifies the unqualified, which is all of us. It says here, as for you, and I could put my name here, Michael John Graves, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, if you're born again, when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, self-indulgent, both are self-indulgent and self-righteous, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, cravings of us in nature or our flesh. Self-indulgent people gratify their, their sin nature through excess. Alcohol, drugs, sex, all of those things. Self-righteous people through self-effort. I don't need God. But that is still gratifying a craving. You see, it's not the strong world and the tough that will enter the kingdom. It's the humble. The gate into the kingdom is by admitting we need a Savior in humility. The gate into the kingdom, the door, Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. I am the door. I am the gateway into heaven through me and only me, whether you're trying on your own or you've messed up completely. And I've sat with people, and I had a man in this church a few years ago. Um, he started coming to the church. We were still in the cinema, uh, the Roxy Cinema and um, a lot smaller now then, and I got to know him. And he came with a, a, a girlfriend. Seems to be a good way that often people come to church. Girls get saved and they bring their, their boyfriends because they're not going to go near them unless they get married, unless, and they don't want to date unchristian guys. So it's a great evangelism tool. And so he came in, and it was one of our young ladies in her 40s, and as soon as I saw him, I said, geez, I've got to keep an eye on this guy. And uh, very protective of our ladies and our young people, children in this church. And, um, but he came and came, I got to know him, and I thought he was actually a really good guy. Anyway, the lady left the church, and he kept on, on coming. And he came to me one day, and said, can I have coffee? He went to Starbucks by Country Club. I sit down there. He said, listen, I want to tell you that I am addicted to everything. Can God love me? I'm addicted to pornography, to sex, 
of all kinds. I'm a drug addict, all of these. Plus, he was a big businessman in the city with millions of bucks. He didn't fit the role, but he just totally opened up to me. Can God save me? See, the Holy Spirit was working, and it was about a year of meeting with him for copies, talking, walking through these things. He got radically saved, all I can say, totally set free. And he came to me one day, and he said, Mike, I grew up in Newfoundland on the East Coast, and, and I'm just, there's too many bad memories. I came here when I was about 16. I'm now 50. I've made millions here. And he says, I think I, I need to go home. In the meantime, his goal, a goal, this is a story of redemption, like you won't believe. He was divorced, messed up. A girl that he had dated at school when he was 13, and they had promised to marry each other, and all the wheels fell off, moved from the East Coast to Nanaimo. They connected again. Through him, who's saved now, she got saved. And through that, I had the privilege of marrying them. And he went back to, this is why I love what I do. It's priceless. It's priceless. And um, he, they, they moved back there, and he moved actually just to Halifax area, outside of Halifax. And he was in contact with me all the time. And he said, man, I need to find a church. They lived about 20 k's outside the city in a small town. So he's telling me what kind of churches were in this little place, and one was a vineyard. So I said, hey, that'll be a really cool church for you. Why didn't you go there? He goes into this, little, this church. The place is wrecked. It's all falling apart. There's only about 20 people in there. And uh, he's in the service, and he's just there looking at this place, and he says, man, this place needs a redo. He goes to the pastor afterwards. He says, man, so this place looks really run down and all that. Can I help you fix it? He said, we've got no money. He says, I want to pay for a full restoration of this building. The pastor told him a few days later he was that close to giving up the ministry and asking God, did anybody care? And this guy comes in. He used his resources. Not only did he restore that building, he, he saved a man's ministry and people started getting saved in that church. That's what God can do to a repentant sinner. And every now and then they come and visit and I have a big smile on my face. It's wonderful. And you won't know who they are. <laughs> Unless they tell you. You see, we all followed these ways and we lived amongst them, gratifying the cravings of the sin nature and its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But I love the buts of God. I'm not meaning anything rude here. We were lost, but God. We were in trouble, but God. We were destitute, but God. But we're all of that. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, the unmerited mercy 
and favor and love of God. Saves us, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf. We have took the sin of the world, past, present, and future, and set us free. And whom the Son says free is free indeed. You see, He qualified us. The next thing we saw in, that little, in Colossians there, He came to share His inheritance with us. Now, it's never happened to me, and my parents were pretty poor, so when they passed away, there was no inheritance. Don't feel bad for me. I love them. But imagine, if you're sitting there at home, and one day you get a letter in the post. It's from somebody you don't know, but you're like the third cousin, 20th removed. And it's some lawyer phones you, and he says, please contact me. And he said, what's it all? You go there. He says, man, do you know that guy that owned Apple or whatever? He related to him. Or whatever. I don't want to build gates today, but you know what I mean. He's left you 10 million bucks. He said, I can't believe it. What did you, and the lawyer would say, but I don't think you should get it because you don't deserve it. You did nothing for it. Why should I give you this money? You see, that's what God did. He sent Jesus. We've done nothing except accept him. And then we share in his inheritance, which is eternal glory, where we are now seated in Christ, where we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He shared it with us. His eternal inheritance is ours for the taking, if we want to. And he says this in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Paul speaks of this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. He put a seal on you. That's my son. That's my child. You were set apart. And the seal was a promised Holy Spirit who now lives in us. And that promise was the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and glory of his glory. He qualifies us. He saves us. He heals us. He gives us an eternal inheritance. And he rescues us. He rescues us. My wife got saved two years before me, and I was not a happy camper. I confess. I did not like Christians. I didn't know many, but I don't even know why I didn't like them. So she became one of those. For two years, I tried to persuade her that this was nonsense. I started going to church sometimes with her, and I'd mock it afterwards and undermine her, and who made God, and what came first, the chicken of the egg, and all of these kind of stupid things we come up with. So I, she was a new Christian. So she was still learning herself, and I could see her get confused sometimes. You see, I could argue her about doctrine. I could argue with her about things like that that I didn't even know. I'd just make them up. But I could not argue with a transformed life by the power of the Spirit. She was different. She had peace. She was, had joy. 
And that's what got me. The transformation that was in her life affected my life. You see, Jesus set aside his divinity in that little manger. One of the reasons the Jews didn't recognize Jesus because they were offended that anybody could be born in Nazareth or in Nanaimo. Sounds the same, eh? Um, in Nazareth and be the, the ultimate king of the Jews. Scripture said from Bethlehem, what they forgot was Mary and Joseph had gone to the census in Nazareth. He was born there, but he was of Bethlehem of the line of David. He fulfilled the prophecy, and even the, the so-called religious people couldn't connect the dots. Born in a manger, lived a sinless life, took Houston upon him, all of it, through the sacrifice of his blood on the cross. And as a result, he gave us worth. Worthless people, lost. Lost behind their big houses sometimes. Lost under a bush, still lost. And gave us worth. And he established our worth by the price he paid. If you go and buy a car, the value you pay for it determines the value of the car. Or you buy anything. He established your, book, your worth when you were dead in your transgressions, when you did not love him, by the price, God, this, the price of his son. He gave everything. He gave everything. And your value is not in what people say or what you have done. Your value is in your Father in heaven who gave his son, paid the price, and established our worth. Romans 5, 7 to 8. You hear this very often because this passage means a lot to me. But in 7 to 8, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, some might, might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. You see, love is only love when it's put in action. God could have sit in heaven and say, listen, these guys are messing up so badly. I'm just going to leave them to himself. But by the way, guys, I love you. We can go past somebody, hey, I really love you. I love you. Walk on. Love is only true love when it's acted upon. And God acted upon his love by sending his son. That's how he demonstrated it. His own love for us. While we're still, still sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, church, that is why Jesus came. That is what next week's all about. Yes, celebrating family. Celebrating 
blessing people. But that's not the reason for the season. The reason for the season is Jesus so loved you. And God so loved you that he gave his only son that whomsoever would believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to contemn, condemn the world but to save the world through him. And if we could bow our heads for a moment. The worship team could please gently make their way up here. I'll try and move this. Brandon, if we could do how great your love is after this. So, in this place, there's many different types of people. We all struggle in different ways. But we have God on our side. So there's people who are born-again believers, but somehow have fallen out of love with the wonder of their salvation. Somehow, somehow lost the joy of their salvation. And I'll say, but sometimes going through the motions, I believe God wants to touch you today. Not with anger, not with a pointing figure, but with a fresh revelation of Father's love. He loves you. He says, well done for staying the course. Then the others who may be trying through self-effort have been taught by religion, by churches, by teachers, you've got to obey these rules. And have tried and tried and tried. And in a sense said, well, what the heck? They normally come to church because they know they, they, they need to, because they know they need to obey. But God says, I feel, I don't want you to come because of that. I want you to come because I love you. I want you to worship me because it puts a smile on my face. And when you mess up, I've paid the price anyway. So get over yourself. Fall in love with me. And your life will begin to change. And others that are, as we heard today, struggling addictions and all of those things. And guys, it's a reality. But I believe it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing to be ashamed about. I believe God wants to set you free. And because of religion, we're scared. Like that man came to me, spent me a year. Because of religion, we're scared to open our mouths because what will people think? And be careful who you speak to. To me, and this eldership, I pray that it's a privilege 
that people would trust us with their stuff. And we better be very careful what we do with God's children. He's listening and He's watching. But God wants to set you free. And then there's people that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And we'd love to chat to you and at the door I've got one of the elders. You see, it's more than a decision. Stick up your hand. It's a transformation. And we want to help you through that process. And it's the most incredible privilege when people get saved. And if you have a Christian friend and you want to go through this book or ask questions, we, we, I think we should put it online. We'll put it on a PDF or something online. It's called The Way to Salvation. If those are you, any one of those, without looking to the left or to the right, I want to ask you to stand. And I'm going to stand too. Thank you. If it's become religion, going through the motions, addictions, if you're not saved, or if you've fallen out of love in Jesus, I'm going to ask you, to stand. So I take it everybody here is totally in love with Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. God's smile is upon you. We're going to pray and sing this song. If anybody here wants to speak to one of the elders, phone the office. We'll make sure. We get together with you. But we're going to sing the song, How Great Your Love Is. And I pray that God will give you a revelation through the Holy Spirit, a fresh one. To know the breadth, the depth, and the width, and the height of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That nothing except yourself can separate you from the love of God. Nothing except you. Because God has given us free will. And why did He give us free will? Because He did not want us to love Him because we had to. He wanted us to love Him because we wanted to. Because He wanted to love us. He didn't have to die, send His Son. So Holy Spirit, I pray even now as a, that, that revelation, fresh revelation of how much you love everyone, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're thinking, no matter how many times they've tried, you love them, you love them, you love them. You want to set them free by the power of your spirit from hurt, from unforgiveness. People may have hurt you. God wants to set you free. God wants to set you free today by the power of his spirit. I ask your Holy Spirit just to even come upon us. As your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. And Lord, as we sing this song, church, I want you to, to, 
to picture yourself in the very throne room of God with the smile of God upon His face. He is not angry with you. He loves you. And sing this song, How Great Your Love Is. How Great Your Love Is. Let your soul be revived. Let your soul be revived. Holy Spirit, I pray for the reign of the Spirit to come. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that even now, wash away the cobwebs, wash away the dust upon us, Lord Jesus. Church, let's stand and let's begin to worship the Lord.